Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. This thought about the iChurch, and I'll explain what I mean by that, has been with me for quite a while now. And I've just been letting it sit there and think it through and grow a little bit. And I think today will be a good day and a good time, the beginning of this year, to sort of share these thoughts with us, with you, with people around the world by TV later on, I guess. Let me start by reading from Matthew 9, verse 16. And I'm going to read this um, just from my notes here. You can turn to it if you like, or you can click on if you have electronic Bible in your hand. What well, Jesus said, no one sews a patch of new or unshrunk cloth on an old garment. The patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will be lost, and the wineskins ruined. <clears throat> no, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And Jesus is addressing the age-old issue of kind of new versus old, the clash of the generations, the realization that every, every last move of God persecutes, gets in the way, interferes with, resists the next emerging move of God. Of course, no one believes that that's what they're doing when they're doing that. I don't think people set out. I don't think the generation ahead of us and the generation in this room ahead of you, and roughly 20 years is a generational period of time. So those that are 20 years older or 20 years younger in this room, I don't think that the older generation, and when I say older, I mean older only by that amount of years. And in some parts of the world, the generation is much shorter than 20 years. Because people start to have children much younger in many parts of the world. So a generational cycle is repeated much quicker than 20, 25 years as it would be here in the West. I don't think people wake up one day and decide, I am going to resist the young people. I'm going to make their life hell. I'm going to get in the way. I'm going to be awkward. I'm going to make their life miserable. I'm going to say no to everything. I'm going to be awkward. I'm going to backseat drive them. I'm going to second guess them. I'm going to pour cold water on all their ideas and their passion. I'm just, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life making it difficult. I don't think anybody wakes up and decides that in the older generation. I think, I think resistance to change is far more subtle than any of us are aware is going on inside us. I think it begins with just this kind of discomfort, this aversion to little style changes, to different kinds of music, to different personnel being involved, to different ways to say things like through media, even decor, even different people serving us, even the opening of another coffee shop besides the beloved gallery many of us loved for years, even changing the chairs that you used to enjoy sitting on, even doing something that removes from you the place where you normally used to sit. Something that disenfranchises you in a part of church life that no one did for that reason, but you believe they did it on purpose to shake you up, to 
rob you of your joy. Little things that you never speak, you never say anything about. I don't think the transition that God, I think, watches in great pain, I suppose, over the generations. Because I don't think any of us have done this well over the generations since time began of father to son and one generation to another. I don't think the generational shifts and I don't think the, the new and old wineskin issue is, is an event. I think we, we allow it to become an event because we don't see the small, incremental, tiny adjustments no one ever knows you're making to keep pace and change and to be flexible and to reinvent. I don't think what God is doing around the world generationally um, is like going from classical to heavy metal. I don't think that's what God's asking anybody to deal with. I think the, 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 the leap between what God was doing and what God is doing next, I think that the leap is, is imperceptible. But I think because we get married to things, we get bound to things, we make things sacred that are not sacred, we make things special that are not special to God. I think because we park up around things and experiences and people and styles and methods and all kinds of odd things that people make sacred and special and get upset and leave churches over. And I think because we do that and we cling on to those things that when things begin to change around us, we find a haven and a refuge from the storm of change inside those things that we have come to cherish and love, which we have made kind of sacred, and we get a theology then attached to it, and we get Bible verses attached to it, and we find other people in the church that feel the same about those good old-fashioned things, and the church isn't like it used to be anymore, and to me, that's a great thing to be said. <laughs> people often say, the church isn't like it used to be, you know, and, I, and they mean it's in a bad way, but I always hear that in a great way. I think, well, that's awesome. Wouldn't it be terrible if 20 years from now we said, you know, that church is just the same as it's always been. <clears throat> I don't know that that would be a great thing to hear. And I think, I think that should be true in, you know, some things, our values and our vision and so on. But in terms of how we express that, in terms of us being relevant to our generation, that is an ever-changing an ever target, an ever-shifting mentality and, and requirement it places on us. And you know, all around us in the world, people are changing at a, at, a, at a huge speed. What is it about us? What is it about the church that we absolutely hate with a passion change? And I don't just mean older people. The young people in here are the future. We say to you all the time, you are the future. But you know, you're not the future because you're young. I've met a lot of old young people. You don't deserve to be called the future because you're young. You are the future because you are committed. And this is why the future isn't to do with young or old. You're the future and you have a place in the future. Whatever you're committed to keep relevant in your thinking. To be flexible in what change requires of you to stay involved in what God's doing in a relevant way? That, to me, is a better definition of future than just a generational age thing. And for years we've made change to do with age. It has nothing to do with change. I know some older people in here 
that have changed and adjusted and committed to that more than many young people in our church. Jesus, of course, knew that his life was made hell by the established church, by the Pharisees that were married to dead traditions like we can do too. We can have a Pharisaical attitude in any 21st century church. We can pick and choose our own things that we make sacred. And when change seems to come along, and I, and I, and I don't think, as I say, I don't think it's like God saying, okay, it was classical, now we're a heavy metal church. I don't think it's wise in churches to, to say, you know, we were this kind of church, now we're going to try this and like put a new coat on for 2011. We're going to be this kind of church now. We pick an off-the-shelf model around the world that we hear is doing great and we think, ooh, that's contemporary, let's do trendy. Whatever the current model of church may be around the world that's said to be the latest way to do church. So we try that and it didn't work in 2011, 2012. was a little bit... Three steps forward, two back. But 2013, we try another model off the shelf. I don't think that helps anyone. And I think that's why we make people think that change is like these big shifts. And I think it's just... It's, it's opera to Paul Potts. You know the guy that won the X Factor, the Paul Potts, was a car phone warehouse salesman? And became world famous because when he sang, what came out of him shocked everybody, shocked the world. He looked so afraid, so lacking in confidence, so insecure, so intimidated. But when he sang, it was clear God had given him an amazing gift that was not selling phones. But then the classical opera people had a downer on him and still do. Because he's not classically trained, because he is not maybe perfected the art of the way you're supposed to sing opera. And so the classic opera buffs feel threatened by the emergence of the Paul Potts that can come from Carphone Warehouse to, to a, a, a worldwide selling album when these people that have been through classical training can't sell any albums or fill auditoriums. And so even in that, even that same genre, they're both opera singing. But it's like even the ones that are in the traditional camp resist and persecute the new emerging form of opera that if it was responded to differently would only give more profile to them. They could borrow strength from the attention he's drawing to opera and could learn from how to sell opera better by watching him and could celebrate it and could support it and could invite him amongst them but to invite him amongst them is to endorse his cheaper, tacky, unpolished version of opera. And snobbery sets in. And one-upmanship sets in. And we have all of that inside the church. I prefer church this way. I prefer the worship this way. I prefer the teaching, preaching this way. And people camp and park around preferences and build on that and so one day there's a crisis there's a big showdown there's a big argument there's a bust up there's an entrenchment and people leave and talk about this huge issue but you know years earlier than that it was just the little beginnings of that I don't really like that and I don't know why that's okay there's lots of things you might not like about lots of things in life but God hasn't called you to be an evangelist for what you don't like And we can't possibly build a church or, 
or build a business or build a team or build anything that, that keeps everybody happy all the time. But some of you seem to think that church equals I must be happy all the time. And if you're, if you're not happy about some things in the church, guess what? We don't care. Because we can't afford to care. Is that, is that okay? Because you say to your kids, well, I don't care if you're not happy, just do it. And God's like that with us. God said, well, I'm not really bothered that you're not happy. Your happiness is not the be-all and end-all of creation. And there's lots of things we live with that we say we're not happy about. But in the church, if we're not happy, it's like, well, then you should fix that. I can't be in the church and not be happy. How can you say you don't care? We love you. But we love you enough not to care about all the things that make you unhappy. Because where would that end? And I promise you, we don't get up here and do things to try and make you unhappy. Let's try and make those people unhappy today. What would be the best thing to preach to really get their backs up? Oh, I know. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about tithing for a week. Ooh, that'll do it. That will make or break them. I promise you, we're not getting up here trying to force an issue with anyone. But I think, as Dave said, in the church that has vision and is at all attempting to be progressive, we are going to disenfranchise some people. And if you become resistant in those small, maybe undefinable, unperceptible things, it won't be long before you finish up with major issues over things that at the beginning of those things touching your life, they were small, incremental adjustments that you didn't make. You know, I've tried with all my heart to not get attached to methods and ideas and styles. <laughs> because I think what leaders do is they get attached to themselves. They have their own, you know, preferences that become entrenched. And I've been around the world and listened to leaders and watched some leaders struggle and be uncomfortable with what happens on their own platform as if they've been made to submit to having young people with long hair on stage or people with tattoos on stage or people that dive around and jump around or show up in jeans and scruffy t-shirts and scruffy in their estimation. Or they would like someone to be on stage that's more traditional, that's, more, that's clean shaven, that looks like they're not part of the great unwashed. <laughs> and I've talked to people behind the scenes who kind of know, know kind of it's the future and don't want to disenfranchise the young people that come to the church and think, oh, this is a trendy church. But inside them, they're really struggling because they feel it's something they're made to do, but it's like... When they get up, they'll make little remarks. And those little remarks are pandering to their generation, who they also know don't really like it. And the leaders themselves are creating an us and them in their public remarks about some stuff on stage or some stuff in the life of the church. And it kind of keeps that group around them that feel that they are the ones that are going to protect your interests in church life. And I think you have to learn to uncouple from things that are really stylistic and methods and different ways of doing the same thing. I can think of back in things that freaked out people in the life of our church over the years, but I think it freaked them out because they had not been making the small incremental opera to Paul Potts changes that I think God says if you want to be the future, 
spot those little things about you that bother you and ask yourself, why does that bother me? And ought I to let it bother me? And ought I to become evangelistic about it bothering others who don't seem bothered? But I would like them to be bothered because I am bothered. And you have bothered phone calls and bothered emails to find bothered friends. And ask yourself, does it really matter? What is it adding to my life? What value does it bring to others? There was once a woman who owned the finest winery in all the land. Everything about the winery was superb. The fertile land yielded some of the best grapes to be found. The large wooden vats that nurtured the crushed grapes until maturity to produce the world's most exquisite wines. For more than two centuries, people came from all over the world to visit the famous winery and buy the wine. One day, the wine developed a bitter taste. No one could explain why this taste developed. Nothing had changed. The wine was still being made in the same way as it had for two centuries. The winery had a capable and dedicated staff. However, winery sales and visitors began to decrease in numbers. In desperation, the woman did what business people do in these situations. She hired a consultant. After a thorough examination of the winemaking process from the soil in the fields to the bottling and storage procedures, the consultant determined that the reason for the bitter taste was that the vats had outlived their usefulness. They were old and sour with no way of being cleaned or restored anymore and the vats would have to be replaced was the advice. The owner was outraged with this advice. The beautiful vats had been in her family for generations, longer than she had. These were the vats that had produced so much beautiful wine known the world over. So she hired another consultant. The report came back the same. To the woman, family traditions were more important than the decline of the winery. She tried different fertilizers in the fields, designed new labels to put on new bottles, even hired a new winemaker. But she continued to process the finest grapes in the world through the old wooden vats. The number of visitors to the winery and the sales of the wine continued to decrease until one day there were no more customers at the once world famous winery. The only people who drank the wine were members of the family for whom family traditions were more important than making satisfying wine for others. Wow. Whether we use the analogy of old oak aged wine vats or use some more trendy example, wine and wineskins Jesus used because it was contemporary to his day. The I church will be our language for 21st century people. It's the same issue that we have to constantly be aware of is at our door. There's no guarantees that our church will not become out of date, will not become resistant to change, will not protect the old vats and not be aware that by doing that we have stopped producing the wine that is helping others here in our city and around the world. The final prophecy of the Old Testament, as many of you may know, in Malachi 
said this, The hearts of the fathers will turn to the children, and the hearts of the children will turn to the fathers. I've always been amazed and fascinated by that being the final prophecy of the whole prophecy of the Old Testament through thousands of years, that this was the final word. And then there were hundreds of years of silence between the Old and New Testament beginning. This was the last thing God said for hundreds of years. That the hearts of the fathers would turn to the children and then the hearts of the children to the parents. In other words, the act, the spirit, the attitude, the commitment to turn would happen in the hearts of the fathers, not the children. The fathers would do the turning and then the children would reciprocate. But if the fathers are waiting for the children to turn and the children to yield and the children to agree, it's not the way God said it would happen. Turning is not easy the older you get. Turning is difficult the bigger the vehicle. And the bigger we get and the longer that we leave it to have an attitude of even being willing to turn, being willing to change course, being willing to veer left or right as we drive forward, then we leave all our turnings to a crisis moment and we have these deathbed turnings that are too late and too little. Because turning involves slowing down and you can get so much momentum and so much progress and so many years behind you that slowing down to bring through others, it's like walking with small children and you slow down for them to catch up. And you spend your life slowing down to the pace of the young people, to the pace of the kids, because the kids don't travel as fast, don't get it as quick, don't understand it easily, have not yet developed the habits like you have of instinct and how to do things. So many of you that are parenting small children know that your life is spent sometimes, if you added up the hours in a week that you spend waiting when you could be gone and you used to be gone before you had kids and you'd effortlessly just get up and get in the car and go and no thought and you know you still do that when the kids are babies up for a while. You, it's amazing how much time you hand her back, isn't it? You're like, what do I do with my time? No kids. Because kids are constantly demanding from you in ways you don't know that's going on. You just kind of get used to it. And the longer you live without any attachment of kids to your life, the more difficult it is to slow down, to stoop, to turn, to bend, to involve in their pace in order to bring them with you into the future. And so what happens is many of the older generation just keep belting on, can't be bothered, turning. Those are physical turnings, much that I mentioned then, but this is about turning in heart. This is about having a, a turning heart. And you can't start turning when you're 70, or 60, or 50, or 40, to the next generation. Jesus was 30, and he's turning to teenagers. 30. And I think whenever he started his public ministry, he would have done the same thing. If it was 25, it had started. He'd have turned instantly. And he did. The first thing he did was go and find a bunch of kids. Church history says the disciples were all teenagers when he reached them. First thing he did is find a bunch of kids. Isn't that telling us something about turning? Jesus was 30 and he's turning to teenagers. 
30. And I think whenever he started his public ministry, he would have done the same thing. If it was 25, it had started. He'd have turned instantly. And he did. The first thing he did was go and find a bunch of kids. Church history says the disciples were all teenagers when he reached them. First thing he did is find a bunch of kids. Isn't that telling us something about turning? What do we do? We begin to judge on external things. And that's what the Pharisees did. They had this list of things that if you didn't look like and speak like and behave like, you weren't the real thing. And because Jesus didn't fit their idea of what a Messiah would look like, they said he's demon-possessed. And he hangs around with bad people and he doesn't behave right and speak right. And he's just outside the box. And, we, and, and forget John the Baptist, he's a complete nutter. And yet Jesus and John were the future that were trying to turn in heart towards them, but they wouldn't have it. A life of turning, a life of turning is better than making turning some big event once in your life. Small, almost daily changes and turnings that no one knows and no one celebrates and no one thanks you for are better than being forced into a turn or leave scenario that often the church in every generation has left it to. All this has been on my mind since I got my new iPad. Because when I got this iPad, which to be honest with you was because of pretty much Steve and Charles that had got one and they became evangelistic <laughs> about the iPad. They've been evangelistic about the iPhone. Funny when you get a new piece of kit and you are into kind of gadgets and gizmos, you, you get evangelistic, don't you? You get intolerant of people that have those old things. Like it's your mission in life. You know, that's the, you, some of you people are the best salespeople, unpaid salespeople for Apple in the world. <laughs> How many of us buy things, not because Apple came and sold us anything, but because our friends shamed us <laughs> in giving up our old Nokia phone? So I got the iPad. And you know what I did? Because I, I didn't really know too much how. I got this iPad and I plugged it in. And nothing happened. How many of you have got an iPad? Can I see your hands? iPad. Wow, not many people. Now we're not telling you if you don't have one, you're not saved. We're not saying that today. <laughs> How many people have an iPhone? Can I see your hands? How many people have an iPhone? Oh, okay, well, you're all on your way to iPads then. <laughs> How many of you have a laptop? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many have an Apple laptop? Okay. We're not going to get to Apple PC now. Let's not... <laughs> not. I plugged this in and, and it lit up and it was charged and... And I pressed the button thing here and nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. What's going on? And so someone told me, I think it was Mark Stevens that knows a little bit more than me on this stuff, said, you, no, you got to plug it into your laptop. 
And when, when these two are plugged in, this is, my, this is my MacBook Air laptop. When you plug these in, I know. I know. Don't ask me how to use it, but... He said, you've got to plug these two in. And then he said, you know, the, the iPad, when it's plugged into the laptop, um, it will come to life then because it needs to sync with the laptop. So I plug it in to the laptop with a cable that came with it to plug them in. And I plugged them in together and still nothing happened. And what came up on screen on the laptop was this language that had you to click on and I said to Marco, what's happening? He said, well, he said, you have to bring the laptop up to date. I said, what do you mean up to date? It's a MacBook Air. <laughs> I must have had this at that time, maybe three years, maybe three or four years. I got one of these when they almost first came out. I don't know how old they are, but not old. So this is a state-of-the-art MacBook Air Apple product. It has the same creator as this. They were joined together by a cable that came from the same creator. But they could not speak to each other. The past did not recognize the future even though they're joined together, they have the same creator, independently they have great potential, but they just sat there, plugged in, joined together from the same manufacturer, the same creator, but just were useless. Until I clicked on the icons that came up on the laptop, and when I clicked on, it started to download... All the stuff, because remember when this was created, this didn't exist. So this doesn't know about these. So when I plug it in, the laptop's thinking, what the heck is that? That you just plugged into me. Now if it was a person, it would say that, I'm going to a bad mood and leave the church. Wasn't it? Be like, what the heck was that on stage? Wow. Was that like, whoa, I'm out of here. We used to cast that out in my old church. Now we put it on stage, give it a microphone. You know what? This state of the art MacBook Air took an hour. An hour to come up to date with the iPad. Now an hour, an hour in MacBook Air terms is a long time. Years. Maybe it was three years, the time between these two been invented. For it, for it to even recognize it was plugged into the future. And for it to begin to talk to the future that I just plugged it into with no permission from it and I forced them together not knowing that my expensive state of the art 
laptop was still outdated compared to this. And it's only a small gap of time between the creation of each. And I thought a lot about that. And I thought, they couldn't even speak to each other. They were joined together, but they were not in sync. And we could be joined together, but unless we're in sync, movement and motion and momentum is not possible. Because until we're in sync, you know, if you plug in your iPod, there's a little icon that says sync. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and that feels good personally that I could be up here. You know, like I could do Steve Jobs' job if he's not well, because I know so much. And you click on sync, and then the laptop syncs itself and brings itself up to date, and with the iPod it's plugged into, if you've been downloading stuff and not put it on your iPod and not plug them in for a while, for a while before you can do anything else, they need to talk to each other. You step back and you let them, you let them reconcile with each other. You let them both come up to date with each other. And until they're up to date, they're operating independently. They're two separate units. They're the same creator, bought by the same person. They have great potential. But from time to time, unless you plug them in, they're out of sync with each other. And sync is everything when it comes to forward progress. If one of you drops your Bible this morning, no one will notice. But if you all do it, we'll all notice. Because if you do it in sync, it makes a noise. It's significant. It's, whoa. So I thought I need to talk to you guys about this sometime. Because the laptop was doing fine without the iPad. I didn't complain. I didn't think it's out of date. It was doing everything. But when I plugged it into the future, it's out of date. It's like an antique. And some of us are trying to plug in the old Amstrad computer. To the iPad. That's the kind of leap some churches are making. It's not going to happen. Because if it took the Mac Air an hour to recognize the iPad, how long would it take that old desktop? You'd be waiting years and thinking, is it, is it switched on? While the old is trying to catch up with the new because the old is so not changed. When I put these two together, one of them had to change. And it wasn't the future. This thing just sat there in all its smugness. It just sat there like, there's nothing to click on with me. <laughs> click on that old laptop and tell it, I'm here. Tell it, the future's arrived and tell it to come up to date and tell it to speak to me. I don't need anything clicking on me. This needed to change. The turning, the turning was in the father. The turning was in the older generation. The turning wasn't in the iPad. This had to turn. And the longer it took to turn, the more the iPad waited. And when it turned and they were synced, suddenly this iPad came to life like, yippee. Now I can serve you. Now I'll be useful. Now I'll show you what I can do. But first we need to get in sync with the old. And I am not asking you to do anything with me. I've already come ready, good to go. 
Part of the problem I realized since was the, the years I've had this laptop. You know, you laptop owners. and Every now and then, what comes up on screen is a download option. It invites you to click on, doesn't it, to update software. Because I don't know what the heck it's talking about. I think I don't want to download something I don't want or need or can tie up the machine. It gives you two options, doesn't it? Or maybe, well, some of you don't know, so I'm going to tell you. It gives you two options. <laughs> Do you know? It's like an Apple seminar, this. And it says, it says, download, click, and it will download and update the Mac or update your laptop. Or it has another box that says, not now. I've been clicking not now for years. I had. Not knowing that every not now, every not now, we're shoving this further back in time. So when I plugged it into the future, all those not nows came calling. Remember when I taught you about God's word and God's voice? That God's word is what he said, but God's voice is what he's saying. And sometimes what God's saying is just like a, an update memo. That's what I mean about these incremental changes to adjust for the future. Because God's not sending you angels river dancing on the duvet or a, or a burning bush encounter or a Damascus road moment to change your thinking to embrace Paul Potts. God's just saying, just download this little thought today. It'll help you. Don't entertain any more of that negativity, that bias, that suspicion, that I don't like that and get entrenched. Just, just click on a new idea today. Just, no one knows, no one will see. Won't take a second, but just click on. But instead we click not now, not now, not now, not now, not now. And when God plugged Jesus into the Pharisees, They were so outdated because they would refuse to click on download in all the generations before when God kept sending update memos. They kept saying, not now, not now, not now. And Jesus came and said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, it's a new download moment. You've heard it said, but here's now new information, new download. Click on now would be a good time. But they didn't. They said, not now, not now, not now until they crucified him. Missed the purpose of God for their own lives because he offered it to them. And we have another generational hernia. We have another generational failure. We have another generational schism and separation between what God's doing and what God did that should partner together because the fathers would not turn to the sons. And so yet again, the sons had to fight their way through and reinvent everything because the old did not assist them with what they knew, passing it on. And the interface could not take place. And I'd been clicking not now for years, not realizing that every time you click not now with God, you put yourself further and further back in time so that when God forces you to face the future, and eventually we all have to, you are so behind. This is what happens. Churches get so behind that they think, it's just too much work. It's just too traumatic. It's just too massive. And so they stay where they are and die. But the staying where they are and dying was not a day, was not a moment, was not an event. It was years of not nows that came to a day when 
You can't go any further unless you download something. Hmm. When I plug the iPad into the laptop, the iPad did not give a not now option to the laptop. It demanded change or it would not come alive. There wasn't a not now option. When I plugged this in, I did not get a not now option. It simply said, download. That was all it said. As if the iPad, is, it's all been thought through by Apple. The creators have realized that if we give you a not now and you click that, this cannot live. This cannot be part of your life. The future can't come. There is no not now option sometimes. There comes a day when God says, there's no more not now. It's not on screen. And you look for it and you'll cry and get angry that it's not there because there's no not now with this. This is now or never. Click download and save your life and have a future and get with the iPad. Get with the iChurch. Because that is our future. That is who we are. We get so far behind that change becomes too traumatic. Sometimes a pastor around the world will ask me a question and I think it's obvious you've been clicking not now for years. Or you wouldn't have asked me that question. I know I would be asking that same question if I had not been trying to download. And the thing is, even with this iPad, those of you that know with the iPad, almost every time I turn it on, it has app updates to download. It didn't take a few seconds. But the applications you've chosen to have on your iPad, it gives you update options because they've found new ways to do it better. And they've ironed out little things that customers have said, well, it doesn't work as well because of this or because of that, or it drags a bit, or it's too slow on that, or that's not thought through. So what Apple do is they glean all the information from around the world, all their users, and then they make it smarter and better, and then they send around the world at the push of a button, the application update, and it, it, it's, it, it comes up on screen, app update, and it asks you to download the update. And, and the point is this, if you don't download your app updates, this also becomes... Locked in the past. There's no such thing as an update free life. A download free life. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a download free church. It doesn't exist. So even this can become old and set in its ways if you don't click on the app update offers. Because one day there'll be thousands sat there you never clicked on and it'll take years for it to come up to date. (laughs) It's embarrassing looking at my... My apps, because <clears throat> I've got all the statured stuff on here, you know, the calendar, the contacts, the maps, the iTunes, settings. I've got the Bible on here. <sighs> One day I'm going to read publicly from the iPad the Bible. <clears throat> I'm getting psyched up for it. I've been, clicking, I've been clicking not now for weeks on doing that. Shah gets up and doesn't. Steve doesn't. See the screen flips. I'm going to be like, hoping it's going to go like that. I mean, I'm going to be like, hang on. I'm going to panic or I'm going to, it's going to fade on me. Just, I have these fears about the iPad doing its own thing while I'm up here. You know, the good old good book doesn't move when you turn to a page, it stays there. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying, I'm trying. I felt something when I said the good book, then something just like a. Ooh shocking isn't it 
I've got dictionary, I've got the weather channel, I've got, I've got life, I've got Kindle, I've got iBooks, I've got Google Earth, I've got BBC News, CNN, Sky News, and then I've got Angry Birds. <laughs> and I've got Ranch Rush 2. Ranch Rush 2 and Angry Birds, so you've got these, you know, CNN and Sky News and BBC icons, and then you've got an icon of a bird looking angry, <laughs> with like a Santa hat on. On Ranch Rush 2, he's like a, a little girl holding a pineapple, looking like an Hawaiian dancer or something, I don't know. My point is, I did not download those two, my granddaughter did. Because one day she said, I why she's asking, what's your password? <laughs> you know, you think, what's password? I'm just doing something. So I give her the password, and then next thing, there's two apps on it. I didn't. <laughs> and, and they're both, they weren't, she, they were both, they weren't free. She, she's spent, <laughs> spending my money on my <laughs> account, clicked on buy now, download now, spending my money. I'm thinking, so when I, whenever my, it's in public, and it's like, you're looking at it. And you look along, you think, Ooh, if ever I got this out in a meeting, I'm sat next to somebody, but like, Ranch Rush 2, Angry Birds. I tell you that for this reason. You can't just download stuff for you. Sometimes you've got to download stuff in your life that you may never use, but someone else will enjoy through you. Or enjoy having in your life. And I think if we do more of that, I think we'd be more flexible to change. That we would carry things in our lives that maybe don't look as great in a stature, but you know that's in my life for those people. I learned that from those people. I think it's good to have that mentality, that attitude, that thing in me, because I think it helps me connect more with that generation or with that mentality that I think is also essential to our future. I've tried to surround myself with the I generation because I want an I church. I want us to have I worship and I music and I songs and I giving and I serving and I volunteering. I want us to have I organization and I preaching and I language and I attitude and I heart. Meaning and up-to-date, irrelevant, a state-of-the-art kind of church. That everything we do is I. He has that I in front of it that says it's up-to-date. It's the best you can get. It's thought through. It's not perfect. It's not without change. It'll need to keep downloading new ways of doing old things. But we're committed to being the I church. And we older laptops. We older desktops. We Amstrads are much loved by the I generation. But unless we keep clicking download now instead of not now, we make it harder and harder for them to keep loving us. Because eventually, we don't even talk to each other because we're so far behind. Where do you need to click on? A download now today for you. No one needs to know. Maybe tiny. But the more you do that, the more you'll stay closer and closer to the future and we all get to continue to be God's eye church. 
Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.